All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or on the Central Church app. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to start. We're in week number 2 of our series called Habits. And what we're doing in this series is we're looking at the five points of connection here at Central. Um, we, we value these five things. Invite boldly, attend regularly, connect relationally, serve purposely, and give generally. Give generously. And, and those are five things um, that we believe that if you make them habits in your life, um, it really propels us into connecting people to Jesus and each other. Last week, we looked at attending regularly. We said that's the habit of making church a priority. And the big question we get back, and we didn't address it in the sermon last week, and because we, we're kind of on the fence with what this, what it, what the thing is, and so we've been asked this question throughout the week. Well, what is what is a habit? Is it is it once a month? Is it twice a month? Is it three times a month? Is it four times a month? Like what is what is making it a priority? Is making it a priority mean I go more times than I stay home? Is it like what what is it and I don't have the answer for you. Um, I have the answer for me. I don't have the answer for you. And I don't know if the answer for you needs to be X number of times per month. I don't know if it needs to be more times that you come than you don't go. I, I just know this. In everything we do, we should follow Jesus Christ. Yes or no? Yes. And Jesus made church a priority. Yes or no? Yes. The answer is yes. You can say that one a little bit louder. He died for it. So it's pretty important, right? He's coming back for it. We established that last week. And so I just want to, I just want to follow Jesus. I just, I want to do the things that Jesus said to do. I want to try the best of my life to make those a priority. And Jesus said church was pretty important. And so that's something you really need to wrestle um, to the ground yourself. What is the habit of making church a priority? What does it look like in your life? Men, what does that look like in leading your families to church? What, what is that? You guys have to come up with that on your own. We're not going to give you a number because as soon as we give you a number and say, well, it's, it's coming two times a month. Guess how many times you're going to come to church a month? Two. So attend regularly. The habit of making church a priority. Today, today we're going to look at give generously. And the reason we're doing that is because after third service, I'm leaving and getting on a plane and going to Arizona and watch my little girl play softball for 10 days. And so I'm not going to be around to hear you complaining about it. So that's why we're doing this. So you call the church, Ryan won't be here. Um, but give generously. That is the habit of giving back from what God has given to me. And yes, 100% when we talk about this, we're, we're talking money. All the other things, our gifts and our talents are tied up in the other points of connection. This one focuses on money. It's the habit of giving back from what God has generously given to me. Now, let me start the message out with this question, because I'm going to tell you what. In the last service, well, I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. And when we, when we film on Friday mornings for what goes on the internet, usually the people in here filming, the people are sitting up in the booth, they're kind of, I can hear them laughing at the jokes or the stories or kind of going through things. And, and, and they're kind of, they kind of get in the message. Like I ask the questions, they answer the questions back. They kind of do that. On Friday, it was nothing. It was like crickets. In the first service, you could hear a mouse fart up in this place. All right. Like 
it's going to be tense in this room. But I don't want to start out that way. All right. So I want to start out, kind of, kind of get us on a, on a page where we kind of thinking through things and maybe, maybe we do laugh a little bit and maybe we kind of tear down the walls a little bit because now you know this is the money message and you don't want to be a part of the money message. Listen, I don't want to preach the money message as much as you don't want to listen to the money message. Okay. So, so we're all even right there. So let's start out on an easy kind of playing field. All right. Now I'll ask this question. Don't answer out loud. All right. For a couple of reasons. Number one, this is central. And like, I probably really don't want to know the answer that you have to this question, but you just think about it. You keep it internal. You kind of laugh inside. You can kind of whisper to your neighbor or something. You two can laugh together or whatever, but just, but just think about it. What is the strangest or weirdest thing you've ever done for money? Now again, don't answer out loud because I really don't want to know. Cause, cause I probably do know. Cause you're like, well, there's one time and no, no, we don't want to hear that. But what's the strangest, weirdest thing that you've personally ever done for money? I come from a youth ministry background. And let me tell you, youth will do anything for money. Teenagers will do anything for money. And side note, so will youth pastors. Back at, back at trunk or treat time this, this past year, um, Trevor, I, I don't, I, are you in this service, Trevor? He's not in this one either. I guess I'll get this answer in the next service. Trevor had been here, I don't, we don't even know how long, like a few weeks, a month maybe, that he had worked here. And I'm still trying to figure this kid out. Like, where's his, where's his lines? You know, how far can I push him? What can I make him do? What won't he do? Kind of like, just kind of establish, like, what, what is, what is Trevor's about? Like, where's, where are Trevor's boundaries? And we're walking around and there's a sucker laying on the ground, opened, with dirt stuck to it and other pieces of candy, and hair. And I looked at Trevor, and I said, Trevor, I will give you all the money in my pocket if you pick up that sucker and you put it in your mouth for 30 seconds. He's like, how much money you got? I said, it doesn't matter. I'll give you all the money in my pocket if you pick up that sucker and you put it in your mouth for 30 seconds. So he picked it up, and he put it in his mouth. I'm telling you, as it's coming up, you can see the other candy and the and the dirt and the hair stuck to the sucker. And he just pops it right in his mouth. He's like, hmm. And he pulls it out. And the <laughs> I can't even tell the story without. It's so gross. The hair is like coming out like from his, his thing. I had $17 in my pocket. I'm like, I'm really sorry, man. That's all I got. He's like, I don't care. That's two nights at Culver's. He didn't even. (laughs) We got a kid one time in a, in a youth ministry event. Um, this was my first youth ministry gig and we had done like a fear factor or something. And, and those things, you just try to get kids to eat nasty stuff like goat brains and raw fish and dog food and stuff. And so we had gone through and the, the, the top prize was a $25 iTunes card. Like that was the top prize. And it was like the only thing we did. And these 50 kids are involved in this thing, trying to win a $25 iTunes card. When we get to the end and two kids are evened up, like they have the same amount of points. They had done all of the tasks and they had made it through the whole thing. And we're like, well, we don't have anything. We only have one iTunes card. We don't know how to determine the winner. And somebody, I'm not going to tell you that it was me, um, but somebody got the great idea that we would smear peanut butter inside of each of their armpits 
and have them like chicken fight to see who could lick the other's, the, the other's armpit the cleanest. It was the funniest and grossest thing you, you could ever imagine. We ended up getting them both $25 iTunes cards because we didn't even know who won because we laughed so hard. Here's the thing, man. Middle schools, they're cheap. They'll do just about anything for money. Now, some of us, we, we could tell stories and we could do this all morning long and I could tell you some really funny things. We've done some ridiculous things for money, but I would have to say, bringing it into the church world, in over 20 years of working in the church, one of the, one of the saddest and most ridiculous things I've ever seen anybody do for money is this. You ready for this? People hear what the Word of God says about the subject of money, and instead of choosing to obey Jesus during the offering every week, they essentially choose to extend their middle finger to God and say, hey, I know what your word says. I know what you say. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. But what do you think of this, big guy? What do you think? I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to do with my money what I want to do with my money. You're not going to tell me what I'm going to do. Thus choosing to place themselves under a financial curse instead of receiving financial blessing from God. And listen, it's impacting their families for generations to come. That's the strangest, weirdest thing I've ever seen anybody do for money. Now, now listen to me. If you're here and you're a guest, like this isn't the place where you attend regularly, like if you're just here for your first or second time, let me assure you, if, if, if that's you, like the only thing we want from you is for you to give your life to Jesus. The reason we do church the way that we do church every Sunday is because we want you to surrender your life to Jesus. And we've already taken an offering. So calm down, Cletus. We ain't taking it again. All right. Just let your guard down a little bit. I'm talking to the rest of the church today talking to those of you who say Central Church is your home church. I'm talking to those of you who I've been challenging to attend regularly, regular attenders. Now you might ask, why would you talk about money? It's very simple. The Bible tells us that the love of money causes problems. People say all the time, money is the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money causes problems. And you know that. You know that to be true. Because a lot of marriages are on the rocks because of money. Because bankruptcy and divorce are like best friends. We teach on money because if we follow statistics, we can conclude that 75% of the people we know are living paycheck to paycheck. Like if you miss one paycheck, it will cripple you financially. Some people, some people you're driving your tithe. Just think about that for a minute. And, and so, so we're going to talk about that. And all I'm going to do, the only thing I'm going to do is the same thing we do every week here at Central is use the Bible. I'm just going to teach you out of the Bible. I'm going to read to you passages out of the Word of God. Now, normally, I would pick just like one verse or one little section of Scripture and camp on that the whole service. Today, we're going to jump around a lot. If you've already looked at your outline, you see it's really small font. There are a ton of Scriptures in there. We're going to cover a bunch. And so you've got to listen really quickly. All right, we're going to go as fast as possible. Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to go first. And I'm going to ask you two questions today. And I want you to walk out of here with the answers for you on these two questions. The first one I'm going to teach you through. The second one you're going to have to answer all on your own. The first question is this. What does the Bible say about money? Like legit, what does the Bible say about money? Now the reason I'll start out with a question like that is here to me is what is interesting about the money or about money and the Bible. Um, the Bible says more about money than it does about prayer. The Bible says more about money 
than it is about faith. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. I mean, the Bible really does say a lot about money. And so why did Jesus talk about it so much? Why does the Bible talk about it so much? Why are we talking about money here this morning? It's very simple. Because money is the number one competitor to your heart and my heart when it comes to following Jesus. Money is the number one competitor to your heart when it comes to following Jesus. There is no second place. It is money. And so what does the Bible say? Well, let's start at the beginning, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, there's two brothers named Cain and Abel. If you're from any type of church background, you've heard the story of Cain and Abel before. But the Bible says this in the second part of chapter, of, um, chapter 4, verse 2. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel kept the flocks. Cain was a farmer. Cain worked the soil. Abel the flocks. Now look at this because it's interesting. Verse 3. When it was time for the harvest, that's, that's when it was time to, to bring an offering. Don't miss that. That's huge. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some. Everybody say some. That's, that's huge, 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 huge. Some of the crops is a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best. Everyone say best. The best. So you got some and you got best. Some and best. The best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift. Now let me tell you what's going on in here. Cain and Abel are bringing an offering. The Bible says that Cain brought what? Some. Some of the fruit. In other words, he's out in his garden and he's like, ah, uh, this one looks all right. It's kind of messed up. It's got some, got some blemishes on it. There's a couple worms crawling in it. Um, it's sort of decent. It's passable. I think I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to throw this at God's feet. It's not much. It's not the best. I know he's blessed me. I, I know that I wouldn't have this job if it wasn't for him, but I'm going to kind of give this to God and God needs to just kind of be happy with this. And the Bible says that that's what he gave, that he gave just some. Like he didn't put any effort into it. He didn't put any thought into it. He's just like, here you go. Just going to throw this down. And then the Bible says Abel went out to his flock and he brought God what? The best, the best, the best that he had, the firstborn. He went in and he said, God, this is my very best. This is the best thing that I've got. God, this is the very first lamb that I have. It's the best of the best. God, I'm giving you this. So Abel brought his best and Cain went, well, you know, it's time for the offering. You know what? I'm just going to throw a five in the box and everybody's going to have to be fine with that. I'm just going to see what happens. That's what's happening. And God goes on to say this. Look at this. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift because he brought what? The best. He brought the first. Brought the best, the first. Watch this, verse five. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Cain did not bring the best. Abel brought the best. God says that when we give, he wants our best. Our attitude cannot be, well, this just is the way it is, and you got to be happy with that. In fact, Malachi chapter 1 has everything to do when it comes to giving, specifically money, that you and I are charged by the scriptures to bring the very best that we have to God, the very best we have to God, because he wants our love, but he doesn't want our leftovers. But listen, think about it like this. If you've got a distinguished guest coming over to your house for dinner, you don't break out the Chef Boyardee that the kids didn't finish the night before, do you? No, you, you break out the best. If you did that to somebody who you view as important, do you think they would be offended, yes or no? Come on, we know the answer, yes or no? Yes. Why is it that we feel like we can do that to God? 
Why is it that we feel like we can offer him our leftovers? It offends God. It offends God when we are not willing to bring the very best that we have to him. Instead, we offer him our leftovers. Now, this is where people say, well, Ryan, what is giving? What are we required to give? Well, let me just, let me just hit three ways that you can give generously. Write these down. First one is the tithe. The tithe. That is 10% of your gross income every year. Now, this is where people push back. And they say, well, what am I supposed to give off of, the net or the gross? Am I supposed to give off the net or am I supposed to give off the gross? And I'm just going to tell you, do you want to be blessed off the net or the gross? Like, w- which one? You, you choose. W- which one do you want to get blessed off of? Like, that's, that's how I fire back to answer to that question all the time now. Like, I, I'm not even going to argue with you. Like, I don't know. I don't know. The, my tax account says this. No, 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 no. Do you want to be blessed off the first or you want to be blessed off the leftovers? Do you want to give of the first fruits, or do you want to give, ah, this is what I got left over? That, that's, that's between you and God, right? That's between how you interpret what the Bible says. Now, this is also where people go, well, tithing is Old Testament. I'm not going to give because it's Old Testament law. I'm going to show you it's New Testament principle, all right? I'm going to show you both. But that should be our goal, 10% off the top. The second is the offering. The offering is anything above the tithe. Like, hey, we want to give to this missionary, we want to give to this building project, we've got this special need thing that's happening over here, we're going to give to that. That's above the tithe. The third way is sacrificially. Sacrificially means you see a need and you meet a need. Instead of calling the church and informing the church about the need, you step up and you step in to helping. Somebody needs groceries, you buy them groceries. Somebody's house burnt down, you, you step up, you organize the thing, you do all the help. Like that, that's, that, that's what sacrificially means. Now, let's, let's talk through these things, and we'll start with the first one, the tithe. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, starts out like this. It says, I, the Lord, do not change. I, I love that. Because see, this is where a lot of people, when we talk about money, they say, well, when you talk about tithing, that's Old Testament. God changed his mind. I love the fact that right here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says what? I, the Lord, do not change. I do not change. Have you ever changed your mind on something? Have you? Of course, we all have, right? We've all changed our minds. Like, I used to be under the impression that monster energy drinks could help me get through the day. Then I realized they were going to make my heart explode because I was drinking six of them every day, and I probably shouldn't do that anymore. Change my mind. Stop drinking them. That, that's for the good, right? We always change our mind, and, and, and a lot of times we change our mind for the good on certain things. But right here in the Bible, I, I love this. I love what God says. He's like, hey, I know you're going to come up with some arguments, I know you're going you're gonna to say something's not for today. I, I know all of this is going to happen because I know everything that's going to happen in the history of the world and the future of the world. And so I want to let you know just straight up, I do not change. Jesus Christ said in, in Hebrews 13:8, I am the same yesterday, I'm, today, I'm the same today, yesterday, and forever. I don't change. That's who Jesus Christ is. And I love that. I love that he says, I do not change. And this is, this, is, this is where we can get like some comfort. I do not change so that you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. God, God is like, I don't change so I don't kill all of you. Like that, that's it. So I don't get mad and I just don't blow you up. I love that. But ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from me and from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord God Almighty. God says, I want you to come back. I want you to come back. 
And then it says, well, but you ask, how do we return to you? In other words, God, how do you want us to come back? Like, God, what, what do you want us to do? Do you want us to come to church more? Do you want us to pray more? Do you want us to worship more? Do you want us to get involved in more connect groups? Do you want us to read the Bible more? What, what do you want us to do? And instead of answering, God asks back a question. Verse 8, will a man rob God? <laughs> and they're probably like, no. Like, like no, no, God, listen, we're asking you a question. You can't ask a question back. Like, and that's a dumb question, God. Nobody's going to rob you. No one, like, how do you even rob God? Stick him up, God. Like, like give me, how, do, how do you even do that? How do you rob God? Everybody in this room, all of us, would agree that's a goofy question because we would all say, I would never rob God. That's absolutely ridiculous. But watch this. It goes on to say this. Would a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? Like, God, I don't have a sword. I don't have a gun. How, how are we robbing you? And then he says this, in tithes and offerings. How do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. And look at this, verse 9. This is crazy. You are under a curse, a financial curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Stop. I'm not telling you this. Like, I'm not, I'm not, this is, I'm not making this up. I'm simply telling you this morning what Almighty God has said. Let's keep going. It gets better. Bring the whole tithe. In other words, don't give it. You bring it. Because you can't give me something that's already mine, right? Like, like if, you, if you borrow my Jeep, right? And if you want to borrow my Jeep, cool, borrow it this week. I'm going to be in Arizona all week. You can borrow it. But just bring it back. How do, you, how do you bring it back? How do you bring it back? Full of gas and clean, right? Not all of your junk all over inside of it. Like, you're going to bring it back. But the key is you're going to bring it back. And when you bring it back, you can't be like, hey, Ryan, I brought you a gift. Can you? Why? Because it's already what? It's already mine. You're giving me back something that already belongs to me. You following this? Bring the whole tithe, the 10%, into where? Into the storehouse. In other words, God says, I will establish the place you bring the tithe. We don't get to establish it. We, we don't. We don't get to say, well, there's this organization over here, and there's this charity over here, and there's this hospital over here, and there's my alumni association over here, and I get a parking pass for tailgating over here. Like, we don't establish that. Who does? God does. In fact, the book of Deuteronomy, there's a whole chapter about God setting up the place where we give. In the Old Testament, he set up the tabernacle. In the New Testament, Jesus said, I will build my I'll build my church, right? I will build my church. In other words, this is the place. This is the place we bring our tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then he says this, test me in this. Test me, test me, test me. It's the only time in all of scripture where God says, test me in this. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so many blessings on you that you will not have room enough for it. Let me tell you something. If you believe the Bible, if you believe the scripture, you would write your tithe check so fast every week, it would probably break your hand because God says, if you give, I will bless you and I will bless you with abundantly more than you could ever imagine, more than you could ever hold. And listen, 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 I'm not health and wealth. I'm not prosperity gospel guy. I'm not name it, claim it. Those guys on TV, they're idiots. That, that's, that's not me. I'm telling you though, what the Bible says. And God says, bring it to the storehouse. Now, this is where people say, well, I'm not sure about how I feel about storehouse tithing and all that stuff. I'm not sure I should bring it to the church. Listen, I want you to hear this. 
The reason the kingdom of God is not being advanced is not because God ain't all-powerful. It's because of greedy Christians. That's why. Let me use this example to explain that. Let's say there are three people, and I give each of them $10,000 a month. I give person A $10,000 a month. I give person B $10,000 a month. I give person C $10,000 a month. So ten grand a piece, all right? Then I say, all right, here's the deal, guys. I'm leaving for a trip. I'm going to be gone for a year. I'm going to give each of you $10,000 a month, and I want you to make sure that my wife, Mary, gets $1,000 a month out of the $10,000. And so you give my wife $1,000 a month. You can do whatever you each want with the other $9,000. I don't care. Anything you want. But I need you to take care of my wife by giving her $1,000 a month. Whatever you want, the other nine grand, do. I don't even care. I'm not going to ask you about it. Don't care. Is that a fair deal, yes or no? Yes or no? Yes. Everybody wants 10 grand a month. So let's say I call Mary. I've been gone for a while. I call her up and I'm like, hey, Mary, how is guy A doing? And she's like, man, this guy is crazy, Ryan. You told him to give me $1,000 every month. He gives me 2000 He gives you 2000 Yeah, he gives me 2000 every month. I'm like, well, that's good. I like that guy right there. What about guy B? Well, yeah, guy B's giving me his thousand every month on time. He gives me a thousand dollars, and it's great. He's been everything he's supposed to be doing. It's awesome, uh, and I'm thinking, great, good, awesome. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing. What about guy C? Well, there's a problem there. See, the first month he gave me five hundred dollars. The second month he sent me fifty, and then last month he called me and asked me if he could borrow two thousand dollars. Now, quick question: Am I happy with guy C? No, because I told him to take care of my wife, right? I gave him everything he has in order to take care of my wife. You know what I'm probably going to stop doing? I'm probably going to stop giving that guy $10,000 a month. And quick question, who am I going to give it to? The other two guys, right? I'm going to give it to guy A and guy B. You know why I'm going to give it to those guys? Because I can trust them. Now, that makes sense in our economy, but for some reason, We don't think that makes sense in God's economy. Jesus said, take care of my church. Take care of my church. Look at this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It says, do not store up for you treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. This is what Jesus said. Don't store up. Don't store up. Don't store up. Don't store up. Think about this. The storage building industry in America every year makes $39 billion. That's $106 million a day. We have storage units to store the stuff that we need, and it just sits there. It just sits. And the Bible says, don't do that. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths, rust, destroy, and thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. How do you do that? You give. You bring to the storehouse. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then Jesus, remember this is Jesus. Jesus says this in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, where your money is, that is where your heart is going to go. That is Jesus. That is Jesus. Now, it goes on to say a bunch of stuff more and it it continues on and, and it gets to this section of scripture that like, I don't, I don't know if you've ever read anything in the Bible that scares you. Like, like, like think about this. What scares you? Like, like if we were just asked that question, kind of to break the tension in the room a little bit and talk about like what scares you, like, like what is it? 
What are you afraid of? Some of you know this about me. I got two big ones. It's mice and the Kool-Aid man. The Kool-Aid man, I'm kind of growing out of that one. I'm not really as afraid as the Kool-Aid man as before. But mice? Man, I'm petrified of mice. Like, I can't even, I can't even go near a dead mouse. I don't, I don't know why it is. People ask me all the time, why are you afraid of mice? You can just step on them. You can just kick them. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because when I was a kid, my aunts would take my, their pet mice and put them in my hat and hold my hat on my head, and the mice were, like, clawing, trying to get out from my, Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if it was that. Kind of a little bit probably of that, right? I, I, don't, I don't know what it is, but I am terrified. Like, if there's a dead mouse back there in, the, in front of the door, like that John Sampson probably strategically placed there or whatever, I won't even go out to go to the bathroom that way. I'll go out the side door in a snowstorm in the pouring rain and walk all the way around to the front of the church. Just, like, I just can't do it. Like, I'm just terrified. What is it with you? What is it with you? Do you know there are things in the Bible that should scare us? Really? There really are. I think this passage should scare every one of us. Jesus says this in Matthew 19, verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I'll tell you the truth. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The person who is storing up and storing up and storing up and storing up for themselves. That's scary. Let's keep reading because some people say, well, that doesn't say anything about tithing in the New Testament. And I don't know. Jesus doesn't talk about that. Matthew 23, there's a section where Jesus is going off on the Pharisees and he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth. That's the tithe, right? We've established that. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matter, justice, faith, and mercy. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. There's at least one verse right there where Jesus said we should tithe. And people say, well, that's just one verse. Should he need to give us any more? Seriously. There's not one single verse. Think about this. There's not one single verse in the Bible where Jesus says don't smoke crack cocaine. But we all believe it's wrong, right? Listen, if that were the only verse he said on the subject of tithing, I would do it. I would make it a habit on that one verse because I know what it's done in my life. I've seen how the scriptures play out in real life. But there's more. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. I want to read this because some people say this. They say, well, if I had more money, I would give. No, no you wouldn't. You wouldn't. And you know, you're not, and you, know you wouldn't. You're not being honest. Because watch this, Luke chapter 16, verse 10. Whoever be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. This is Jesus saying these things. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who would trust you with true riches? No one can serve two masters. Either who will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There's this message that Jesus is trying to get across. Verse 14, the Pharisees who love money and who heard all of this were sneering at Jesus. By the way, if you're sneering at me today, if you're like, he doesn't know what I do, he doesn't know what I'm giving. Well, that's the attitude the Pharisees had. They were sneering at Jesus because they loved money. They were religious, but they loved money. Therefore, they would not honor God by putting him first. And so Jesus said they were sons of hell. Jesus said that, not me. That's, That's Jesus. Verse 15, he said, You are the one who justifies yourself in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men. Remember we talked about last week, what you value ultimately determine what you do. Remember we said that? What is highly valued among men is detestable 
in God's sight. Detestable. Let's keep reading because this is fun. John chapter 12, verse 6. Real quick, let me, let me ask this question. Who's the disciple that betrayed Jesus? What, who was it? What was his name? Judas, right? He was the treasurer. The treasurer handles the, the money. Good, you're paying attention. Let's read the story of Judas real quick. John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. That was about three months earlier that this happened. So they're coming together and they're, they're, they're going to celebrate Jesus. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, the guy he had raised from the dead. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard in expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Stop. This was about a year's worth of wages. We'll find that out in a few verses. So, so think about this before we move on. Think about what you make in a year. Don't say it out loud, but just think about what you make in a year, a year's wages. Take that amount, the amount you make in one year. Go to Walmart. We're going to pretend Walmart sells it. I don't know. They might. They might not. I don't even know. But let's say you're going to take this amount, you're going to go to Walmart, and you're going to spend it all on a bottle of perfume. You bring it back, and you pour it out at Jesus' feet. Would this be considered giving generously? Would this be considered an extravagant gift? Yes or no? Yes. All right, watch this. Verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why was his perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Quick question. Was Judas really worried about the poor, yes or no? No. He didn't care about the poor. He cared about what? The money. But he made it about somebody else, which is what happens so often. Why'd you break all those TVs? Do you not understand how much money you could have given to the poor? Do you not understand how many people that could have fed? Do you not understand how many people we do feed? Like, do you not, like, like why are you bringing in about other people? You don't care about the poor, Judas. You don't care. Why was this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what? He was a thief. Will a man rob God? He was a thief. As the keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, I know some people would say, I would never do that. No, you would. You would. You betray him every week during the offering. And I'm telling you, it has to stop. You've got to start bringing your tithe to the storehouse. You have to start being generous. Remember last week, we said, what you value will determine what you do. And the Bible just told us, again, let me, let me, let me say this so we're all clear. What men value highly, God finds what? Detestable. So why the church? Why do we bring it to the church? Well, let's look at a few more verses. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45. People are meeting Jesus, and the Bible says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions of good. They gave to anyone as he had need. They gave to anyone as he had need. Gave to anyone as he had need. Then it goes on to say this in chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed, look at this, to anyone as he had need. To anyone as he had need. In other words, the early church didn't have a designated fund. They, they, they didn't. See, some people want to designate their tithe. 
I want my money to go to youth ministry. I want my money to go to children's ministry. I want my money to go to the sign out front. I want my money to go here. I don't like the toilet paper that the church uses, so I'm going to go buy a toilet paper. I'm going to make the church use this toilet paper. I want jelly donuts, and they're not buying jelly donuts, and so I'm going to go buy jelly donuts because that's what I want. I want, I want, I want, I want. Listen, you don't get to delegate where the 10% goes. You have got to trust the church. And if you don't trust the church and you don't trust the church leadership where you're attending enough to honor God with the money that you're putting at his feet, you shouldn't go to that church. You just shouldn't. Go to a church where you can trust the church and you can trust the leadership to distribute the money to those that have a need. Just saying. Let's look at another one. 1 Corinthians 16, 2, on the first day of the week, every one of you should set aside a sum of money and keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. That's the tithe. They're, they're making the tithe. And Paul's saying, hey, when I come in there, I don't want to be telling you what you got to do. Get in the habit. Get it, get it going. Some people say, well, you know, that, again, it's Old Testament, and that's under the law, and I'm not a lawgiver. I'm a grace giver. Well, good. That means you're going to give more than the tithe. Because where in the world do we ever find in Scripture God gives us permission to do less under grace? Think about it. Under law, Jesus said, do not kill. Under grace, he said, don't even hate anyone. Under the law, he said, do not commit adultery. Under grace, he says, don't even look at a woman lustfully. Why in the world do we think that does not apply to giving? It, it, it does. Let's, let's look at this. Let me show you this. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of what? Giving. This grace of giving. Let's keep going. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember, I'm just reading the Bible. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That, that's a promise from the Bible that you cannot outgive God. Verse 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I have people say, well, I can't give because I'm not a cheerful giver. The reason you're not a cheerful giver, probably, according to this verse, is probably because your heart doesn't belong to Jesus fully. doesn't fully belong to Jesus. Seriously, in Scripture, is there any example of someone who was greedy that belonged to the Lord? Come on now, we're in church. You can tell the truth. I know the answer. No, there's not a single example of that. Verse 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, all that you need. I tell people all the time, there are a lot of things that I want. I don't have everything that I want, but I have every single thing that I need. Everything that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what does the Bible say about money? A lot, a lot. And that's just a small taste of what it says. Real, real quickly, I've got to move fast through this. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to shut this thing down because it's tense in here, right? I told you it was going to get tense. <laughs> Number two, probably make it even, even worse. Who or what does my wallet say I worship? So the first thing, does the Bible say about money? I can give you all kinds of information about that. You can take those scriptures, you can believe them or you can not believe them. You can apply them or you can not apply them. But that's what the Bible says. And I'm telling you, when we apply the Bible to our lives, good things happen in our lives. The second question you have to answer for you, what or who does my wallet say that I worship? See, worship is the core of who we are. Worship is who we, we are. And the core of our worship, I'm sorry to say this, is giving. It, it is. It's, it's giving. It's not giving just of money. It's giving of our time, treasures, and our talents. 
But, but you ever notice that we don't want people to see our core? You ever notice that? Seriously. You ever notice you don't want people to see your core? If, if you don't believe me, just lift up your shirt and show the person next to you your abs. Go ahead, just do it right now. Because I ain't going to do that. Like, I'm, don't, don't you do it either. Just don't, don't, don't do it. I'm not showing you my abs. Mostly because they're hidden behind little Debbies and Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> you can't see them. But we don't want to see the core, right? And Jesus says giving has to do with the core. Look at this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Where your treasure is, I know we've already read this in a, in a, different, um, a different spot. But he says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. In, 20, in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is Jesus. Jesus says, at your core, you can't serve both. Let me finish like this. I could preach a message like this. Let me, let me say it like this. I love you, and I love this church, and I am, I am bought in. When it comes to the giving thing, I'm smoking what I'm selling here, man. I'm, I'm 100% in on this. And I'm going to be here until Jesus calls me home or God kills me. And I can promise you, I can promise you, this church is handling money with integrity. Like, like this church, we're not in financial need. And this church is doing so well financially. And we're doing well because we have generous givers in this church. We have people who already have this habit. And if those people, if I brought them up here and I let them give a testimony, they would, they would tell you that, man, you should be doing it too. Because giving back from what God has given me has incredibly blessed me. It, it really has. I handle money with integrity. It does not have a hold on me. Like, there, there's just something that has happened years ago when Mary and I made the decision that we weren't just going to be givers, um, that we were going to be tithers, that we were going to go off of the first fruits of what God has given to us. And it was a principle that we put forth in our marriage. And, and it's just been, it's been absolutely phenomenal how the scriptures have come alive in our life in this area. And again, I don't have everything I want. I want a hellcat, right? Everybody knows that. I want a hellcat. I don't have everything I want but I have everything that I need. I, 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 really, I really do. And I want the same thing for you. I want you to feel freedom financially. And so I'm going to ask you to pray through three steps today. One of three steps or all three. Um, the first is to surrender. You can write these down. Simply surrender your finances to Jesus. I'm telling you, there is so much freedom in surrender. I know some of you are like, I can't afford to do it. I'm going to tell you, you can't afford not to. You, you, you can't. I know that's a cheesy pastor line, but it's the truth. You can't afford not to. Plus, think about this. God said, test me in this. Test me in this and see that I don't pour out blessing on you. Why wouldn't you want to try it? Honestly. So that's the first one, surrender. Second, become strategic. Some of you need to, you can't surrender your finances to God because you have no idea how much money you make or even how much you spend. It's like you're pretending you're the government. You, you think that you're just going to keep spending more and somebody's going to keep printing more and keep giving it to you. It doesn't work that way. So here's what we're going to do for you. Once again, I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. And I want to, I, I want to help you figure out how to get set free financially. I want to help you figure out how to set a budget. Some of you are so in debt, it's not even funny. And I want to help you get out of that. We have a connect group called Financial Peace University. It's one of our growth groups. This class teaches you how to set up a budget, how to get out of debt, how to get set free financially, and how to give, gen how to give generously. God has called us to be good stewards, and this class teaches you how to do that. The next class, write this down. 
The next class will start the week of May 1st, and I'm giving you plenty of time to prepare. I believe that every single person that comes in this church, heck, I believe every single person outside of the walls of this church should go through this class. I do. What it does for you financially is life-changing. And so I'm giving you one month, one month to prepare, one month to change your schedule around, to plan on committing to this group. And here's the thing. It costs $120. costs $120 per person or per family. But if you sign up between now and and April 10th, so I'm giving you one month to come up with the money, it'll be $60. $60 for a class that will literally change your life financially. And, and here's the thing. Here's my promise to you. This is not a central church promise. This is a Pastor Ryan promise to you because I believe in it so much. If you go through it and you get to the other side of it and it hasn't changed you and it hasn't helped you, I will personally give you 60 of my own dollars to pay you back. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? So that's a, that's a win-win situation. Honestly, if you hate it, it won't cost you a dime. But that thing right there, I'm telling you, it changed my life. It'll change your life. The last one is sacrifice. I want you to understand, the reason I could come out here and I could preach a sermon, a hard sermon like this on a subject I don't even like preaching on, why I could come out here and talk about giving is because we serve a God who is a giver. We are not, listen to me, for those of us who are in Christ, we are not in Christ because God was greedy or because he gave of his leftovers. He gave his very best. He gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile us to himself. The Bible said, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave, that he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. One of the best quotes I've, I've ever read on giving, and I have no idea who said it. This is one of those ones that's attributed to like 10,000 people, but it's this. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. That is what generosity and giving generously is all about. Is that a habit you can get into? Let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm just going to ask you all where you are, where you sit right now, some of you, you need to surrender. You need to surrender your finances to the Lord. Like, like that's the thing. Like, if we come in here and we ask God, God, speak to our hearts. Like, God, what are, what are you speaking to us right now? God, we need to hear from you. Listen, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. We're not going to ask you to fill out a card. We're not going to ask you to walk, walk forward. I'm not even going to lead you in a prayer of commitment because we've done all of that before. We have filled out cards and we've done tithing challenges and we've done all that. Most people never give a dime. So I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to ask you, and, and listen to me, this is not a church issue. The church is not in trouble. The church is not asking for money. You don't give anything. This church is still going to operate next week. Our staff is still going to get their paychecks. The lights are still going to be turned on. This is not a money issue. This is a heart issue. And some of you need to nail this down. It begins with the tithe, but it does not end there. So God, right now, help us. Help us to surrender, become strategic. Help us to honor you. Help us to put you first. Claudia is going to lead us in a song, and 
If you need prayer for anything, maybe it's about surrender. Maybe it's about just giving your life to Jesus. Maybe it's about a marriage issue. Maybe it's something going on. We'd invite you during the song to step out the back door. There'll be people from our prayer team who will meet you in the foyer and take you up to our prayer room or pray with you in the foyer. If you can't make it up the stairs, we'll, we'll, we just want to serve you in that way. So if that's you, if you need prayer, don't miss this opportunity. For the rest of you, take this opportunity during this song to, to just sit and listen. Listen to the words of the song. Listen to the voice of God speaking to your heart. Listen to what he's saying to you and take some time to talk back to him. God, we love you and we praise you. We give you this time and we ask you to move. Move in the hearts of your people in ways that only you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.